In just a little bit, we're going to be celebrating the Lord's Supper and remembering the sacrifice of Christ. So that's why the Lord's Supper is set out before us. And if you're a believer and a follower of Christ, we'll, uh, we'll enjoy and appreciate the fact that you have an opportunity to participate uh, with us this morning. But let's finish up where we started out several weeks ago in talking about greatness because we, we have sort of been on this theme or this thought that, that um, what does it mean to pursue greatness? What does that look like? Um, because I think if we're all honest, we all want to be great. I think there's something within us that desires to be more than what we are at this day and time, and there's a pursuit. And one of the things that we've learned is just because you're great at something doesn't necessarily mean that you're great. And Jesus, even in the time that he was living, and the disciples that he was working with and that he was teaching and that he was leading, they struggled with that issue of greatness. They would have conversations, and Jesus overheard these conversations, and he and he didn't condemn them, and he didn't look down on them, but he said, listen, if you guys are going to talk about greatness, he said, let me, let me define for you what true greatness is. And in Mark chapter 10, we see where Jesus gives them a, a definition of what true greatness was, and this is what Jesus said in Mark 10. He said, but among you, it will be different. You guys will be different. How many times in, in the world today are those of us that call ourselves followers of Christ, are we different? But he said, among you, it will be different for whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so this is what we've learned, that greatness is a choice as we've walked through this past several weeks, that greatness is a choice. It's not something that we're born with. It's not something we're born into. It's not about your family that you come from, not about how much money you have in your back pocket or how, much, how gifted you may be, but it is, a, uh, it is a choice. It's a choice. And in every stage, in every area of our life, we're going to be faced with this tension to be known or to be recognized or desiring to be great. But the problem is, is when that desire to be great or to be recognized or to be successful leads us down a path that we're willing to sacrifice our integrity, our character, our morals, and even our faith in Christ. Because this is what I know you will be tested. You will be tempted. That's, that's a for sure. But the question at hand is how will we respond in those times? And just because you've committed your life to Christ doesn't mean that you are exempt from the issues or the struggles or the temptations or the fact that you're going to get a pass. It's not going to happen. You will be tempted. You will be tried and you will be tested. So with that being said, I want to go back today to the Old Testament as we finish up today to one of my favorite stories. One of my favorite stories, and you can turn to the book of Daniel because we want to talk very briefly this morning about Daniel, the character of Daniel as we finish up this series. The book in the Old Testament, Daniel the story takes place around 600 B.C. The nation of Israel is facing God's judgment because of their disobedience. And as a result, God has allowed a pagan nation to come in and to invade and destroy the city and the temple, which had really brought Judaism and their worship of God to a standstill because now there was no place to go worship. Now there was no place to go and offer sacrifices, and it was a dark, dark time for the people. Nebuchadnezzar had allowed, uh, his armies had came in and destroyed everything, and the king, 
gathered up some of the most promising of men, and he would take them off and exile them to Babylon. And instead of killing them, what he would do is he wanted to, to train them so that they would be part of his court. And so they would cut their hair and they begin to try to integrate them into the culture, to train them about the culture. And Daniel happened to be one of those young men. And that's where we want to pick this story up today in Daniel chapter 1 as we, as we talk about the story of Daniel. And, and inside of this story, there is some tremendous principles for us to hold on to, whether or not you're a new believer or a seasoned believer. But this is what the scripture has to say as we read together this morning in Daniel chapter 1, verse 1. And he reads, during the third year of King Jehoiakim's reign in Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave him, you might want to underline that, the Lord gave him, Nebuchadnezzar, victory over King Jehoiakim of Judah. Jehoiakim follows a couple of other uh, kings, his father, Josiah, was a king. He was a good king. He tried to restore the kingdom back by, by getting rid of all the idols. And then his brother followed him and did, wasn't too good of a, a king. And then Jehoiakim's right after him, whose name prior to this was Eliakim. But here is Jehoiakim facing the difficulties of Nebuchadnezzar and, and his kingship from Babylon coming in. And it says that the Lord gave them victory over King Jehoiakim of Judah. For those of us that have a difficult time allowing, how, allowing to, or understanding how God could allow something difficult to happen, I mean, this is it. The Lord gave him, didn't just allow it, but he gave it to him. It's a great example. Why did they lose the battle? Because God saw to it that they lost the battle. Just didn't allow it. But God saw to it that they lost the battle. The Lord gave them victory and permitted him to take some of the sacred objects from the temple of God. And he goes on to say, so Nebuchadnezzar took them, these sacred objects from the temple, back to the land of Babylonia and placed them in the treasure house of his God. So because of the disobedience of the nation of Israel, the people of God, God allowed for Nebuchadnezzar, a king from a pagan nation from Babylon, to come in and to pillage. And so they go in, they... they they destroy Jerusalem, they raid the temple, and they take out some of the items from inside of the temple, and he takes them back to his little man cave. There's some hunters around here, or fishermen, that have man caves. And in that man cave, they've got these animals, whatever it may be, that's a representation of their testosterone. The biggest deer, the biggest fish, the trophies. Are, you, are we on the same page? Nebuchadnezzar was no different. And so here he is. He goes in. He, 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 uh, he pillages everything. He brings out some of those things to say, man, listen, I'm going to take some of these back to my man cave because when people, I want to be able to show them. I want to be able to show these things off. And so he, they would take articles that represented their gods from their different countries, wherever they were from, and it would be significant, and he would bring it back to his treasure house, his temple, or whatever it may be. And it would be there in those areas that, man, when people would come through, say, hey, let me, go, let me go show you something. When I was in India, there were temples that were all over the place. One of the places that we went was 
a city by the name of Pure, and they told me that there was a temple every hundred meters. It was temple after temple after temple after temple that represented their God, that represented things that were important to them. And so here it is, it's like Nebuchadnezzar's got this trophy room. Look what I've done. Look how strong and how powerful my God is. I want to show you all of my trophies. Let's celebrate the victories as well as brag on our God, Marduk, who was powerful than more, all the other gods. That was what he was trying to do. I want you to see how powerful my God is in comparison to your God. But here it is, he gets down into Jerusalem and he goes to the temple and he can't find any gods. And why? Do not worship any other gods. Do not make any idols. They didn't have idols. They didn't have anything to bring back. So he went into the temple, into the Holy of Holies, and he, he got out some things that he thought was important. And I think according to what we read um, just a little bit later in the book of Ezra, there's some mention of gold and silver cups that were taken. But he had to find something to take so he could take it back to his treasure house and brag. And he goes on to say in verse 3, Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, his chief of staff, to bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family and other noble families who had been brought to Babylon as captives. Select only strong and healthy and good-looking young men, he said. Make sure that they are well-versed in every branch of learning. They are gifted with knowledge and good judgment and are suited to serve in the royal palace. In other words, bring to me the best of the best. And we're going to train them. And we're going to teach them the language and our culture. Now, you would think that being one of those guys, it would have been chosen, that it would have been a really big deal. Because guess who wouldn't have been chosen? It would have been the low, the poorly, those that maybe were sick, maybe those that were lacking resources. And so they were left behind. They might have been placed into slavery or might have been killed. But here it is, those that were brought in, they're out living the high life. It seems to be so much better to have been taken captive than to not have been chosen. And in verse 5 it says, The king assigned them a daily ration of food and wine from his own kitchens. They were to be trained there for three years, and then when they would enter the royal service. So here are these guys. I mean, it's like going to college with all expenses paid. I mean, is there any parents here that would like to have all the expenses of your children paid for several years to go to college for three years? Yeah. Yeah. Especially if you've got one that's graduating right now and you're thinking that's on your mind. But here it is. They're, they're going to be placed in this, in, this, in this time of training. Everything's going to be taken care of. The best training, the best of accommodations with the aspirations of, of serving the king in his royal service. And there were four guys that were chosen. And look at what it says. Daniel, Hananiah, Michelle, and Azariah were four of the young men chosen and all from the tribe of Judah. And the chief of staff renamed them with these Babylonian names. And every one of these names had significance. Daniel was called Belteshazzar, Hananiah was called Shadrach, Mishael was called Meshach, and Azariah was called Abednego. Maybe you've heard about these guys, something about a lion's den and something about a fiery furnace. These are familiar if you've grown up in church. But here they are. And he goes on to say in verse 8, But Daniel was determined not to defile himself by the eating the food and the wine that was given to them by 
the king. So Daniel had made a decision. And the decision that he had made was that he wasn't going to eat or partake in what was being provided. He didn't want to eat the food or drink the wine. You say, well, why is that? Well, a couple of different reasons. Number one, the food that maybe they had been served didn't go along with the Mosaic law, didn't go along with their Jewish dietary uh, laws that they had. So it was, had to do with the type of food and how it was prepared. And so it was forbidden foods. And, and, and Daniel said, listen, I'm, not, I'm just not going to partake of it. Funny story, when you're in another culture, when you're in another country, it's pretty easy to find out that people don't always eat the things that you eat. So when I was in India, I learned some things about what Muslims eat and what they don't eat. What Hindus eat and what they don't eat. One of the things that Hindus don't eat is what? Beef. Well, wouldn't you know it? I carry an awful lot of stuff with me on this trip to make sure that I'm going to get something to eat and on the front of every one of those little packages is a cow. Not a good thing to be carrying in India. Different cultures. But then it wasn't just the things that they would eat, but it was also a problem with how it had been dedicated to idols as it was the custom in Babylon. Um, Because to partake and to eat of that food based on how it had been served and how it had been dedicated, it would have meant that they had recognized their idols as deities or God. And so what they would do is they would take this platter and they would, and it's hard to understand this because if, if you're not on the same wavelength, you're like, well, that just doesn't make any sense. It's just the way it happened. They would take a platter and they would set food on it. They would set wine and they would set it in front of an idol. Now listen, every place we went when we were traveling, there was idols all over. Every vehicle we got in, there was an idol that sat at the dashboard. Every home that you went in that was Hindu or another culture, they would have idols all over the place. Every store that you walked in, there were idols. Driving down the road, there's idols all over. And so one of the things that they were saying is, listen, when you, if you were to partake of that food that was on that plate, that platter that had been set in front of that idol, that what you were saying is that you were saying that you believed that the resources, the food, the sustenance, and everything that was on that platter came from that God. It was a resource that had been provided that that God was sovereign and he was the provider of everything and it symbolized your dependence on God. And so what they would do after a period of time, after sitting something there, is they would go back and collect it because you would know that there was going to be plenty of food still left on there because idols don't eat food, right? So they would take that food, they would take it back to these guys and they would feed it to them. I mean, why why do you want food to go to waste? And yet Daniel said, I'm not going to eat it. I'm not going to eat it because, number one, it doesn't go along with the Jewish dietary means. Or I'm not going to eat it because it's been offered food that's been offered to idols. Because I don't agree. Now, Daniel found this offensive. And some of us are probably going, that's ridiculous. I mean, it's food, for goodness sake. But Daniel said, no, it's offensive. It may be in reference to what it's prepared, where it came from, what it was, or how it was presented. 
And some of you are saying, but Daniel, why in the world are you trying to make a mountain out of a molehill? I mean, come on. At least you're going to be fed. What about all the other people that are, that are starving, that are struggling? What's it going to hurt? What's it going to matter? But Daniel said, no. No, I'm not going to do it. We would say, Daniel, just lighten up a little bit. You're being a little bit too legalistic, don't you think? I was having a conversation with one of my friends there um, who is a believer in India. And we were talking about the issue of food. And he said, I am a Christian by faith, but I'm a Hindu by culture. Because I was asking him, why don't you eat beef? I mean, you're not a, I mean, you don't practice Hindu religion. And he said, no, he said, I'm a, I'm a believer, I'm a follower of Jesus by faith, but my culture is still Hindu. And I want to do that. To have done that would have kept him, the, giving him the opportunity to reach other Hindus who didn't know the Lord. He said, it's really not about the food, it's really about my relationship with Jesus. But here's Daniel. Daniel's going, no, I'm just not going to do it. I'm not going to be tempted to move in that direction. And then there's this argument. Daniel, do you mean that you're going to tell me that you're going to remain faithful to the God? By the way, the one who has allowed you to be taken, the one who has allowed you to be exiled, you're still going to worship? You're still going to worship and remain faithful to that God? And what we learn is that Daniel did not wait till he was in that moment in time to be faithful. David did not wait until he was in that moment in time or in that middle of that circumstance to say, I am going to serve you and I am all in. But David had, Daniel had already made up his mind of who he would serve before those circumstances ever presented themselves. And here's a model for us to follow because this is what we know. Just like Daniel's faith was challenged, our faith will be challenged and we will be put to the test. It's like the little boy who says, you know, Mom, I'm sorry I told a lie. It really wasn't that big a deal. It was just a little lie. We have any little liars out here? Just a little lie. A little bit later on that night, maybe you've heard me tell this story before. He could smell mom cooking something in the kitchen. He's filling his nose and he goes to the kitchen and he says, Mom, what is it that smells so good? And she says, oh, she said, honey, I've just made you your favorite dessert. And she said, I've made it with the best of ingredients. And she pulls it out and here's this nice plate of brownies. And he says, Mom, this is really good. And he goes to digging and she says, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I put one special ingredient in there, but just a little bit, just a little bit. He says, what is it, Mom? Peanut butter? And she said, oh, no, it's not peanut butter. It's better than peanut butter. She said, uh, dog poop. He said, dog poop? She said, oh, but it's just a little bit, just to flavor it up. He said, Mom, I'm not eating that. He said, why, son? He said, just a little bit. It's not going to hurt anything. How many times in the middle of life do we settle for the little things thinking that it won't hurt and yet those little things turn into big things? What made Daniel successful was the fact that he made up his mind way before time. Daniel decided beforehand that he would not compromise regardless of the potential gain. And you're going, but you know what? That's just so ridiculous. That's so crazy. 
Let me ask you a question. How many of us want our kids to make a decision beforehand who they're going to serve? I mean, how many of us want our kids to make a decision whether or not they're going to serve the Lord or not serve the Lord before they find themselves in the spur of that moment? I mean, wouldn't you want them to go, hey, right now, I just want you to know I'm all in. Regardless of whatever challenge, regardless of whatever circumstance I may face, regardless of whatever my friends may say, I want you to know that right now I am all in. And, and, And listen, it's like, you know, I know I've taught you right from wrong, but I just want you to know, guys, there's those times when right is negotiable. Think about that. You do everything you can to try to raise them in a place in faith and point them towards Christ so they would seek to serve Him, but all of a sudden, everything that is right becomes negotiable. You know, because if you love Him, you'll... You know, when your future is at stake, if it's going to mean that, that uh, you'll be able to get ahead... Those are ridiculous statements, aren't they? I mean, I don't ever think that I've met a parent, a great parent, that would say something out loud like this. Just wait. Just a little bit. And yet, how many times have we modeled that day in and day out? Because we ourselves have not been all in. I mean, you're thinking about the kids or the grandkids that one day you may have Listen, this is, this, is, this is what we need to know, that one day they're going to face the pressures. And don't you want to hear them say and be able to tell the stories? I was all in. So there was that moment in time when I was tested and I was tried and I didn't give in. That's the example. Being set apart and living right isn't something that's always going to be rewarded in the culture, but we have a choice and a chance to be able to choose greatness, regardless of your age. So here is Daniel. There is the tension that's been created by his convictions. I'm not going to eat that food that's been set aside. And listen to these next two words because they are so important. And we always need to remember these two words because so many times we don't factor them in, and yet they have so much influence. Read what it says in in verse 9. And here they are. And underline them, circle them, do whatever you have to do. Put some stars around them. But look what he says. Now God. And it's easy to forget God. In the middle of the options, the negotiations, and the pay promises. But how many times is God waiting to see how we might respond in those circumstances? I mean, we'll include him in the Sunday decisions, but what about Monday through Saturday? So many times it's easy for us to be able to leave him out. How many times have we said, man, you know what, I wish I, but I just blew it because I gave in. And now look at the mess that I'm in. And now God, and this is what Daniel had to say, listen, I can fear and place my faith and trust in the one who claims to control my destiny, being King Nebuchadnezzar, or I can fear and trust the one that I know that actually controls my destiny, my Heavenly Father. I can place my faith and trust in the one who claims he controls things, my boss, my investors, my friends, or I can place my fear and my, uh, and my trust in the one who actually controls my life, my Heavenly Father. And Daniel says, listen, I know that my faithfulness could potentially cost me my life, but I am confident that God will take care of me. 
Again, one of the most powerful experiences was sitting in a room in a place in those hills in India and sitting with pastors that were struggling, that were dealing with the complications of being persecuted for their faith. And yet they were saying consistently, I'm all in. Regardless of the pain, regardless of the pressure, regardless of the circumstances that I will face, I am all in. And my prayer is that all of us, regardless of what age or stage in life that we may find ourselves, that we would be at that place of recognizing now God moments. Those now God moments that regardless Regardless of what takes place, regardless of what the cost may be, because see, you, see, I know you because you've blown it just like I have, haven't you? I mean, you may have been thinking about something this past week where you've blown it. You knew, but you, choose, you chose a different direction. You chose a different direction because of a group of friends that you were hanging out with, or maybe it was a business partner, and you didn't want to let them down. But you knew what you needed to do, but you refused to do that because you thought it might cost you something instead of recognizing, now God. Now God. My desire is that somewhere along the line that every one of us would declare our faith and be willing to trust Him regardless because that is a choice and a movement towards greatness. Regardless of what has happened in the past, no more. I'm in. I know that my friends are going to look at me and I know that they're going to question my decisions, but I'm all in. I'm not going to look back, but I'm all in. Now God, he says, had given the chief of staff both respect and affections for Daniel. So here is God taking the chief of staff, the guy that is over Daniel and these other guys, and he caused him to respect and have an affection for Daniel. Daniel had went to him to ask him for permission to say, listen, man, we don't want to eat this stuff that you guys are serving us. Ashfinish didn't really have a problem with it, except for the fact that if something went wrong, he knew that he would be blamed for it, and he might be killed for not following orders. But Daniel went to him, and he, he asked for permission, and he said, listen, I got another option for you. He said, what happens if for 10 days, let's just try it for 10 days. Let's just eat vegetables and water. And his finish agreed, and he bypassed the meat and the wine. And I want you to skip down at verse 17 and look at what it says. Verse 17 says that God gave those four young men an unusual aptitude for understanding every aspect of literature and wisdom. And God gave Daniel the special ability to interpret the meaning of visions and dreams. And if you go ahead and you read out the end of the story, this is what you'll find. After everything was completed, when they were brought to the front, these four guys stood out amongst all the other graduates. These four men would end up having a great impact on the, on the kingdom of Israel, on God's people. And not only on them, but in the lives of other kings. Daniel would end up with the, with the ear of the king as well as other kings that would, that would end up following him. And there's some incredible stories that we find in the scriptures that are like this. But this story is so, so important because here's one young man who made up his mind and who he would trust. Not in the one who claimed to hold his future, but the one who knew he knew without a shadow of a doubt, held his future in his hands. And he said, I will trust you, God. And what made Daniel great wasn't the fact that he was handsome or that he was smart, 
But what it made him great was the fact that he was, he was able to take his life and say, God, I want to I trust you, and I don't want to waver. But I want to place my faith and my trust in you regardless. Which leads me down to two questions. Two simple questions today. Number one, when you find yourself at the crossroads of life and you're being tempted and you're being tested, just the question of this, who are you going to trust? Are you going to wait until that moment in time to just say, God, I'm going to wait until that time to, to see whether or not it all works out? Are you going to back it up and say, today, on this day, on Memorial Day in 2018, I made a decision that I was all in, regardless of what took place, that Jesus said, I would be faithful to you and to you alone. So when you're at that crossroads, who are you going to trust? And then the second question is this, what story are you going to one day want to tell? Because this is what I know. One day, every one of us in this room are going to look back and we're going to tell a story. And I have to be honest with you, there's some stories in my life I don't want to go back and tell. And I know some of you too, and there are some stories in your life that I know that you don't want to go back and tell. Because there's some times that I've not been faithful. There are some times that I've not been true. There are some times that I've not trusted in God, and I've wavered in my faith. Anybody want to raise your hand and say, I've been there? Yeah. But that's not who I want to be. I don't want to be that person. I don't want to have to one day look back and be sitting down with my kids and say, well, you know, oh, I better not tell them that. But what kind of story do you one day want to be able to tell? Here you are sitting down around the table with your grandkids. What kind of story do you want to tell? Better yet, what kind of story do you want somebody telling about you? What kind of story do you want to, want to be able to tell? Because there is a story to tell behind every decision. Do you want the story to be told of, man, he was a faithful follower of Jesus. He was a great dad. He was a, he was a faithful husband. Man, he loved Jesus and he loved other people. Because down the line, I tell you this, every one of us will tell a story and others will tell a story about us. Saturday, when we stand and we celebrate, uh, celebrate Colleen's mom, Miss Wilma's life, I promise you there will be stories that will be told. And one day there will be people telling stories about us. So what is it you want to be told? And my prayer is this, God give us the wisdom to do what is right and the courage to do it. Because you're going to be tested. Johnny? You're going to be tested. Bob, you're going to be tested. John, you're going to be tested. Jack, Chris, you're going to be tested. Jeff, you're going to be tested. We're going to be tested. So who do we want to trust? And what kind of story do we want to tell? And this is what I know about Daniel. Daniel didn't wait to the last moment to make a decision. But Daniel said, listen, I'm all in. I'm all in. Choose for, for me? Nah, you don't have to choose for me. I've already made my choice of who I'm going to serve and where I'm going to place my trust. Great people make great choices. And the greatest of all choices is humbling our lives, ourselves, and recognizing Jesus Christ and his great sacrifice 
for our sins. That we come to recognize that we don't save ourselves by working bigger, harder, stronger, or more. But that Jesus Christ saved us because of his sacrifice on the cross. Would you bow with me this morning? As the band is making their way up here, I just to ask you a question today. How's your decision making? For those of us that are believers, would you be considered a great person because of the fact that you've said, I'm all in? You may have gone to church, you may be a follower of Christ, but are you really all in? These are some things maybe in your life that even this week you need to go back and ask the Lord for forgiveness. The Bible says to confess our sins and He's faithful and just to forgive us. We are not perfect people by any means. But what a great decision to go before the Lord and say, Jesus, man, I, man, I blew it this past week. There's somebody I need to go back to and I need to apologize. There's something that I need to write. I, I didn't make this the greatest choice over here. Man, I've been wrestling with this business decision. Make the decision now where you're going to place your confidence and your trust. But there may be somebody here that's never trusted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And what I just want to say to you today is, you want to talk about greatness? That's the greatest decision you'll ever make. And as our overseers are, are coming this morning, and they'll be standing, and they'll stand here along the front, but there'll be a briefly a time of invitation. And if you're here today and you don't know Christ, the greatest decision that you can ever make is humbling yourself before the Lord and saying, Jesus, I need you. I'm not going to run from you any longer. But today I'm going to recognize my need for you. And so today if you're here and you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, even this morning, right there where you are, you may just want to get up and come and say to one of these guys that are standing here, I don't know Jesus Christ, but today I want to ask him to be my Lord and Savior. Today I would like for somebody to tell me more about a relationship with Christ. Would you do that? So our overseers are going to be standing here just for a second. Maybe you're here today and, and you've blown it in some areas and you, you're just saying, man, I just need to go talk to somebody. I need to pray with somebody. Even right now, you come. You come. And in just a moment or two, we're going to be celebrating the Lord's Supper, but I did want to give you an opportunity to respond. You have the ability to respond right there where you are. But maybe you're here and you need to talk. Father, I'm just asking that in our time together, God, that you speak to our hearts what a blessing it is to recognize that you've given us the freedom to be able to choose to trust you. All we have to do is to humble ourselves and to come before you to recognize that Jesus, your Lord, we can't save ourselves. Father, would you hear us in the quietness of this moment as Brian just play just for a, quietly for a moment for someone that wants to come. say this morning, man, I've just blown it. Would you pray for me? I'm a believer. I'm a follower of Jesus, but would you pray for me today? Would you just raise your hand where you are? Anybody? Several people. Several people. 
Father, I'm just very thankful for an opportunity to share your word today. For us to go back and look at the stories of scripture like the characters in the word like Daniel. Father, who was, who'd made a choice. Father, who he would serve. I pray that we would pattern our lives around these characters like Daniel. That we would set our eyes on you and not be afraid. But Father, we'd be bold and courageous in our faith. Thank you for the opportunity that we have today to celebrate the Lord's Supper and the sacrifice that you have given to us so that we may never forget your love. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. What a privilege it is for us to be able to celebrate the Lord's Supper today. And, and again, 2,000 years ago when Jesus gathered with his disciples in that upper room to celebrate the Passover meal, it would be there in that room that night that Jesus would, would take the bread and he would break it and he would say this would be a symbol of his body that would be broken. And then a little bit later on, it would be the wine that he would pour and it was a symbol of his blood that would be shed. And Jesus himself would become the Passover lamb that would be sacrificed for our sins. No more having to live in the bondage of sin. No more trying to, to, to live by trying to... to, to work towards our way towards heaven which we're unable to do but Jesus told us in that time as he sat with his disciples and it would be relayed to us that we would practice the Lord's Supper as a way of remembering his sacrifice and his love until he comes and so today that's what we do we remember the sacrifice on this Memorial Day of the greatest sacrifice ever given that which Jesus died on a cross for our sins and so if you're a believer and a follower of Christ, we'd love for you to participate. If you're not a follower of Jesus, you can just sit where you are, just quietly. But the question is, what is it that keeps you from making a decision to follow Jesus on this day? So I'd like to ask if our ushers would come and now they would prepare the elements for our serving. If you'll hold on to those elements and then we'll partake of them all at the end today.